It's the Ride All Night Podcast, with stories of friends and family of the band From Good Homes, started during the pandemic of 2020 and continuing until we're done. Thank you, we're trying some new things here. Okay, here it comes. We've got a million people to thank. Welcome to the future. Oh wait, is it the past? It's, it's future stories of the past. No, it's recollections from the past projecting into our future. Anyway, it's the Ride All Night podcast and it's the global pandemic. How you holding up out there? Right now it's July 25th, 2020 and the world is at a turning point. We are four solid months into the global pandemic, which will be followed by an economic clusterfuck, and we're three months away from a presidential election. I try to stay away from politics because I know that friends of this podcast and members of this tribe reside on both sides of the political spectrum. There's good people on both sides of the debate. Good people on both sides. We are divided. We have been successfully divided. Right now, there's, a, uh, there's federal troops relatively unmarked and somewhat unwanted in Portland, Oregon. And I guess there's other cities on the list that they're going to be showing up to to try to fight back the graffiti artists. Anyway, so I, I started this podcast for a couple reasons. One is to chronicle these times, these funky times that we're all sharing. The other is to gather more stories for the feature documentary of the same name, Ride All Night, about the band From Good Homes. From Good Homes, as you know, or may not know, came about in the 80s and 90s in the New York City, North Jersey area, and after a 10-year hiatus, continue to play as the band From Good Homes, as well as other musical endeavors that they all have on their own. Today we speak with Andy Strauss and Sarah Rockwell Strauss, two longtime friends of the band, this conversation was recorded way back on May 3rd of 2020, two months away, just two short months, but a world apart as far as global events and the state of affairs here in the USA. I loved hearing their stories. Um, Andy grew up in Sparta and Sarah in New York City. I played Little League sports with Andy and he lived right up the road from Todd Schaefer. And they came together in New York and shared lots of the early days with From Good Homes While they were all part of the roaring time in NYC, which was the 80s and 90s, they now live in Arizona with their two boys, and it was just a great pleasure reconnecting with them. Thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me, and I hope you all enjoy this episode of Ride All Night, and please don't forget, reach out. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the Ride All Night podcast. I welcome all of you. Let's hear your stories. All right, my friends. Kick back and enjoy this conversation with Sarah and Andy Strauss. Well, thank you for documenting it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for including us, too. Th- yeah. Thanks for taking the time for sure. <laughs> yes. Cheers. cheers. Right, it's five o'clock here. It's dinner time. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're day drinking There's here in, in Arizona. I think it's Sunday, right? Is that true? They all blend together, don't they? Oh my God. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm anxious to know what you guys are doing day to day, but it certainly does. And you have a young daughter, right? Well, she's 10 now. Wow. That's young. Yeah. (laughs) How's she doing? She's doing good. Yeah. She's doing really good. She's, um, I think it's a decent age for this whole thing that's going on. It's not bad. You know, she misses her friends and actually we're starting to Vermont's a rural state. So there's like no cases right now in our town. But everybody's still locked down and masks and everything. Right. Right. Where do you live? I live in Montpelier, Vermont. Oh, nice. The capital? The capital. 9,000 people. It's pretty small. Nice. Nice. And we just kind of informally started like potting up with our neighbor because we have a neighbor, Caddy Corner, that has a daughter, Elena's age. And just like, I guess really just today, they have spent the whole day together. That's nice. So we kind of just said, all right, I think we're kind of, we're going to start phasing out. But that's as far as we're going to go, right? Let those guys hang out. Right. It is a regional decision, though, because in Arizona, the cases is a 45 degree angle straight up. They're not straight up, but, you know, up. You know, so it's, it's significant still. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of old folks out here. So it's going to be hard to figure out how to transition out of this. 
It's true. It's going to be really funky. So anyway, why don't we start just sure. a little intro for uh, like kind of introduce yourselves. Tell us where you're from, where you are, a whatever comes to mind about uh, who you guys are. Sure. Uh, I'm Andy Strauss. It's my wife, Sarah Strauss. We've been married 28 years now. Uh, I grew up in Sparta, uh, right next door to Todd Schaefer. Uh, we have a lot of childhood uh, shared experiences and memories. Uh, Sarah, she grew up in Manhattan. I um, was raised pretty much from seventh grade in New York City and met Andy after college in the city. And one of our, after we became kind of serious dating, one of our first trips as a couple was to a friend of his from college's wedding, which was in Providence, Rhode Island at Brown University, where they went. And from Good Homes played at the wedding reception. And I basically danced the entire time. <laughs> Took breaks when they did and, you know, just had an amazing, amazing first experience. And at the time they had this little cassette tape, you know, a little tape that they sent around like a demo tape and it had four songs on it. And somehow I got a hold of it. And it was like my prized treasure tape that I listened to all the time, these four songs. And yeah. from there, you know, we went, we became basically from Good Home Ted. Yeah. So we got married in uh, 1992 and, um, we had from Good Homes targeted to play at, at our reception. Uh, we had hired them, plus $1,000. We paid them early so they can get some studio space. Uh, for their, oh, so you paid them early so they could get studio space yeah, while they're right recording. There. Correct. Ah. Correct. So um, actually, Sarah's parents kiboshed from Good Homes being the reception band because there's a wide variety of ages. Well, they, and also they were footing the bill. So. They were paying. <laughs> so we, we asked the band if we could change things. And we had a post-reception party at the hotel where everyone was staying. Ah. So it was like 10 o'clock at night. Were you there, Rick? I don't. Where was it? No, it was, it was in Rhode Island oh, okay, in no. Newport. Ah. Middletown, Rhode Middletown, Rhode Island. Middletown, Rhode Island. Yeah. Well, who, uh, but going back, who was, the, who was getting married that where you guys went, where you first saw from? Oh, uh, that was um, Steve and Sheila Ennis, who both went to Brown. A college buddy of mine. They lived in New York City. I lived in, in Manhattan uh, starting in 1987. And they were there, and, we, and the band was playing around a lot. Uh, so uh, I introduced them to the band. Steve is from California. Sheila's from Massachusetts, and they were living in Manhattan trying to plan all this. And I had to broker that deal so they could uh, play in their uh, their wedding as well. Yeah. And so that was the uh, That was 1990. Bonus. That was uh -huh. 1990. Cool. But why don't we, we'll kind of loop back to this. Why don't, we'll have to start with you, Andy, because we'll talk a little bit about early days in Sparta. I, I think I'm a little crazy about this band because I, this summer I went and got Todd's uh, tapes. So I've got like 250 of their tapes over here that I'm digging. Nice. And I just listen for months. I mean, I, I don't get tired of listening to the music. Do, so. do you have uh, We Three Jerry Mentleman? <laughs> I think I might have that one. <laughs> that's not from Good Homes, though. There's only three of them. Oh, okay. That's oh, true. It's not all. Of, yeah. So, you know, like, let's talk about Sparta a little bit. And Swaz, sure. Swaz, I do want to un understand a little bit of the background of the nickname. Is that okay to ask about Swazi? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it came from Sparta. It's part of the whole Sparta uh, tradition. Yeah. So um, as if I didn't know, because I'm from Sparta, how would you describe Sparta to someone back then? Sparta is a fairly small rural town where everybody knew everybody. There was a center of town in, in, the, in, the, in the lake of the plaza. You know, we went to a school of uh, 1,000 students. Uh, again, everyone knew everybody. And uh, when I think back to my childhood, I think of a time in Sparta where everybody was the same. Big chunk of maybe middle class. Some people were a little bit more wealthy than others. Some people a little less uh, well off. But we still felt we were all the same. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how we've come. And, and now this dichotomy between, you know, the haves and the have-nots, yeah. and the, the middle class is being really squeezed out. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. And uh, but that's what I think about when I think of Sparta. We, you know, people getting along, uh, having really good friends, and uh, everybody just basically 
all in it together. Taking care of each other. The 70s, basically. Yeah. That is the one nice thing about getting older is you actually can literally get a perspective of history. You know, you could see major transitions. You know, if you think about Sparta now. Yeah, it's a it's a we call a lot of McMansions, a lot of uh, developments now. And uh, and there's probably a lot more wealth there now than there was as well. Yeah. When we grew up. Right. Right. I mean, it's certainly a privileged upbringing, but it didn't absolutely it didn't feel like it. But it certainly uh, certainly was, and now even more so there in Sparta. So I guess maybe early on about, was it the music or was it the partying that drew us to, you know, the From Good Homes? Or I guess back then it was a different manifestation of a band, right? It, it, you know, it evolved, and we were all fans from the very beginning. I mean, I think I saw you noted uh, Rare Breed as the early stage. I think that I can remember Rare Breed, Rare Breed being in a battle of the bands in like the high school auditorium when we were like in, we were like freshmen or, or, or you, you know, you, I, mean, I think maybe the freshman or sophomore when that, that happened, the band was young. Yeah. And um, I remember it was a, a controversial victory for a rare breed. I don't know if you do, if you remember this specific, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny. I don't have a great memory, but this is the second time this has come up when I interviewed the full band and Darren Jacks was there as well. That came up and this, the home field advantage, I guess. Well, yeah, I don't absolutely. remember the controversy personally. <laughs> I, I remember it vaguely, but I remember the outcome and the controversy. Yeah. We got to talk about speakeasy for sure, but yeah. any, any thoughts prior to that? Like, I guess maybe even the Friedolf Freak festivals or, you know, how would you describe those parties with like Rare Breed at the time and Old Crow? Right. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, we, we were always, yeah, like, a lot of kids in the seventies, I'm sure, and probably not too different now looking for a way to party and, and, and have fun and have music. You know, there were a lot of people dedicated to music in our age group and being young. And what I mean by dedicated is, you know, really, you know, the Grateful Dead was a huge influence and, in, you know, driving everyone's passion for music and going out and seeking live music. You know, I think that, uh, that's been always at the root of my passion for music. It started it started right there in Sparta, you know, with the Grateful Dead. And you know, I was a little late to the game as well. My my dad would never let me go to a concert until I I basically left the house. He I remember he promised me that I could go to a concert when I turned eighteen. Turned eighteen shortly, like a month later, was the Radio City shows. I had a ticket. Joe Tierney actually bought me the ticket. Going with all my friends. And my dad kiboshed it. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, well-behaved and, you know, didn't break the rules. And I had to actually give up the ticket. What happened? What happened that made him uh, modify his commitment? You know, I think he, um, you know, he just had a real hard time with it. My, my sister was a little challenged with drugs and, and that whole scene, yeah. you know, she's nine years older than me. So she was, you know, really in the, in the 60s, 80s type mm, of stuff. And, yeah. And it just, um, he became overprotective. And, at the, you know, I think when he, he just couldn't get past that, even though he said I could. Yeah. You know, I made up for it like a vengeance afterwards, you know, <laughs> that's for sure. In my college and adult life. Yeah. I was lucky that my parents did let me go when I was in 10th grade to the 15th anniversary shows of the Grateful Dead at at Radio City where they opened the first set was acoustic and that was actually my first Grateful Dead concert ever so that was kind of unusual to see them in that venue and playing like that but I also I had two older brothers that introduced me to the dead when I was you know living in New York City going to high school there and um something about From Good Homes the way they jam the way they they can get the the crowd so energized and that you feel like the whole audience, everyone in the crowd just has this incredible energy and are almost like levitated off the floor. I have felt that many times. Yeah. So thinking back, because I've had the same experience as Andy, I grew up in Sparta and we, you know, we knew what our world was, but I'm wondering what was it like growing up from, you said seventh grade on in New York must've been a world apart from when you hear people talk about Sparta. Yeah. It was. And also the 70s. Um, so we moved there in 76. Abe Beam was the mayor. The city was a mess. Uh, real estate, you could get, uh, my parents got our five bedroom, five bathroom apartment for 
under a hundred thousand dollars. A seventy-second and second. Oh so my god! So the city was bankrupt, and it was pretty shady. You know, I was never allowed to go to Central Park unless it was like in a big group. And you know, I would sneak on the subway and go down to um, St. Mark's Place, and I didn't realize how dangerous it was, obviously, at the time because I was pretty young in my early teens. And um, music was just for me a really great escape from parents, you know, adolescents basically, and having had two older brothers that were off in boarding school and college they would bring back all this great music. And I had a stereo system in my bedroom so they could come in and blast the music in my bedroom, thereby influencing me, you know, everything from Louie and Patti Smith, the Velvet Underground, all of that was like CBGBs. I remember the Talking Heads, you know, 77, like right when it came out, seeing them on uh, Saturday Night Live was a big thrill. You know, but I was still pretty young and I wasn't really able to go to CBGB's, you know, and go to those places because I was only like 14 years old, but I could sneak down to St. Mark's and um, go to the head shops and, you know, listen to musicians on the street. And uh, it was just so, it was a wild experience, but, you know, not really knowing any differently at the time, I just thought, well, this is cool. What motivated your family to move to New York City and where did they come, where did you come from? <laughs> well, so story? we lived in upstate New York in Rochester, New York, while I was in elementary school. And my dad was a minister in the Episcopal Church up there at the University of Rochester and also at a seminary. And then he was called to be the rector of St. James Church on Madison Avenue and 71st Street. That's amazing. <laughs> that was, yeah. I had no, I did not expect that. Spiritually driven to New York City. Minister's daughter, baby. (laughs) So. Your dad calls me a sinner. (laughs) He's a saint. His little girl calls me a saint. (laughs) Nice. So, so I'm curious. That's so cool because what a different experience, right? And that it's fun to think about what created, you know, From Good Homes writes collectively these songs. I have to imagine. I'm very inspired by Todd's writing and his lyrics and all that. Way to go, Pam. Pam Suplee is a friend of mine from college who we met when uh, we were all living in New York, early days. That had to be like, uh, I'm going to say 85, 86. I remember she was living in a small place on 81st and 1st, and Todd and I were hanging out in the city, and they became really good friends. And she, he thought she had an interesting story and perspective, and she clearly did. And you know, and uh, her, she married a guy named uh, Rob. Rob, and you know, it's called Bob in the song. But uh, it, that's uh, Pam Suplee is her name. She's a friend of mine from college. That was on that demo tape. Way to go, Pam! <laughs> that was one of their first original. Yeah. Ah, you guys will be really? psyched. I have the b- beginning of this movie cut, and it opens with the Joan London show, them playing "Way to Go, Pam." Nice. And then it breaks away from that. And we shot two concerts this past summer in, at the Newton Theater and Waterloo. Nice. And we're kind of going to make it a concert film. But it's cool. so much energy getting into that. And then just thinking about the story back in the late 80s and 90s. I had never an, an intention of doing like a feature documentary. It was go- always going to be a concert film. So wrapped around a concert with little stories. But now that we have all the time in the world, seemingly, this is great. I get to hear other things. Yeah, this is awesome. It's yeah. really cool for us to reminisce about it, too. Yeah. Um, so while I was in high school, I was going to an all-girls private school on the Upper East Side. We graduated. We sort of all went our own ways. But one of my dear friends um, who lives in Burlington, Vermont, Alice, she was a big fan of From Good Homes. And when they came in 2018 and played at Eagle Hall in oh, Jersey yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of our classmates actually owns a townhome like two doors down from there. So we had like a mini high school reunion of my friends and I would say probably like eight or 10 women from my class and their partners. And then Andy's friends from high school and their wives who are also now my dear friends. Jim Quinn and Peggy Quinn. Were Doug and Maureen there? Doug, yeah, Doug, Doug and Maureen were there at Dykstra. It was really fun. It was like this colliding of our two worlds at that great venue. 
and just such a fun night. And they just sounded so good. You know, here's a band that was really like hitting their stride in the late 80s, early 90s, right? And then for them 25 years later to be playing together again and sounding better than ever. It's we amazing just, how they've evolved. And so psyched. And the, the, the caliber day. of their music. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, you can see their own careers personally and their capabilities and yeah. just the way everything works in the band. It's still the same old hick pop coming at you, but it's so much more professional and it sounds great, I yeah. think. Yeah. And also when Brady started with Brady Reimer and the little band that could, yeah. our kids were really young. And so we really loved that path that Brady took with the kids music because up until then, all we were listening to with our kids was Rafi, and we were about to, like, you know. <laughs> I don't think I know a Rafi. Well, anyway, you weren't missing out on much. No need to research further. Brady <laughs> played a couple of times in South Warren. Yep, at the uh, New Jersey Performing Arts Center there. And at Joe's Pub in New York, so we took our kids, and uh, it was so fun. I mean, when you have little kids, to take them to see good music, Obviously not quite the same experience as yeah. going to From Home, but introducing them to really good music at a young age. Yeah. I really want to talk about your early days in New York City, but before we do that, Swaz, before, be, before we leave Sparta behind, oh, uh, yeah. anything about, I, we definitely got a, just a mention of what the, a night at the speakeasy would be like, but any, any other things that come to mind about early days? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think when you say early days and we're do, uh, having this podcast around from good homes, I, you know, I gravitate to my earliest memories with Todd. You know, we were a large group of kids that were growing up on Woodbine Lane and Woodbine Terrace, uh, right off the lake. And, you know, we were always, always together as a group, building tree forts, uh, underground forts, riding bikes. Jeez. Streaking. <laughs> it was a. It was a. Uh, I did my share. Streaking. It was a uh, a pastime of the seventies and in our youth. Yeah, man. Free spirits. Yeah. That, nothing better than a good streak. <laughs> Absolutely. But I can, I can remember, you know, Todd in early days of elementary school. He played the trumpet. They started with the trumpet. I can remember, you know, being in the um, in his basement when he was writing a song. He was just hanging out. I mean, we had to be early teens and he had a keyboard set up he's playing guitar and you know i'm, I'm musically inept not only tone deaf but uh you know but and he would you actually appreciate good music, i do yes and he he actually had these uh you know three or four keys he wanted me to hit on the keyboard while he played the guitar and figured out figured out this song i wish i could remember what song it was if it even evolved into anything That's but great. i can't but i just like early memories of, of that you know, there was a lot of mischief uh, and things like that, but uh, you know, it's, it, obviously, I've, it's always been a you know, from Good Homes has always brought a warm spot to my heart. Not only because I love the music, but I love the memories that are triggered things like that that take me back to to what was a really you know happy childhood. I think most people feel that in Sparta, they had a good place to grow up with good friends, a real community, and everyone. You know, had had fun. We, I, I, I personally feel that way. Yeah, cool. Something about me wants to talk about the speakeasy, but I know I might get Scott Reimer and Joe Tierney on the phone to, at the same time. And the I got speakeasy. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and I was just going to say, Quinny. I have to. I haven't talked to Quinny in a long time too. You'll have to get me in touch with Quinny. I don't yeah, know, we, I, we can definitely do that. And Rich Watney, have you in touch with Rich? Yeah, we Kelly? chatted like a week ago or so. So yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So Excellent. Fun. That's awesome. Yeah, their wedding was so fun. And also Rich's 40th birthday party that was a surprise party in Idaho where they yeah. played. That was a great reunion. We fun. actually, we were thinking about just memories of From Good Homes and obviously that Rich's 40th came up in Idaho. We saw them in the early 90s, maybe mid 90s down at the Troubadour in LA. Yeah, right when Open Up the Sky came out. Yeah. They played at the Troubadour. And that's obviously a famed venue. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into when you guys met and then you said you saw him up at a, uh, sorry, the first time you saw him was at a friend's wedding. So what about, you guys were living in the city in the early 90s, is that right? Well, we met in the late 80s, but we started dating in 1990. And that was when we went to that wedding in uh, May of 90. And then in the fall, um, they were doing Bottom Line, 
Yeah, bottom line. Bitter end. Bitter end. Yeah. They played, I think, in um, Irving uh, Plaza. Yeah. That was the early nineties. That was early nineties. Right. But um. Oh, the wetlands. They were Hoboken. in Hoboken. They played in Hoboken a couple times. I remember when we, we were early dating. <laughs> we took a taxi from Manhattan out to New Jersey. Wait, wait. A little little background context. There. So, from Good Homes is is like the feature band of an outdoor like festival there's you know it's not just music it's like a hoboken street fair yeah. and, and but they have stages and or a stage down by the uh ferry area and the path area we're like planning it for weeks we're going right? we're living in manhattan <laughs> it ends up being a beautiful summer we're day taking friends with we're us. taking friends recruiting people as we always did to, to turn people on to from good homes yeah you know it's, it's kind of traveling around manhattan was just like murphy's law of one thing not working after another you know, mass transit didn't work. We were scrambling around. We ended up taking a cab from Manhattan to Hoboken for this thing, and we and we're, and we're scrambling, we're scrambling, we're running. Hurry up, hurry up, because we know the times. It. And then we we get there to the to the area where they're playing. We hear they're not done, and they're like, "That was from Good Homes." Luckily, they were playing that night also at the Bitter End, so we went home, like regrouped, and uh, ended up. Meeting our friends at the bitter end that night. Oh, okay. So all was not lost. All was good. Yeah. All was good. Yeah. It was pretty comical. It was set of a movie. <laughs> and right now, I'd like to present to you a group that you can see every Tuesday night at O'Neill's here in Hoboken. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome, please, from Sparta, New Jersey, from Good Homes. We're going to be playing at the bitter end tonight, doing two sets starting around 9, 9.30. That's in New York City, so come on over. I said, let's go.
if you could kind of think culturally, like at that time and Sarah, having grown up in the city, how, how would you describe like the scene of when you guys were living there and, and what, what it was like and music of the time? Well, the Grateful Dead were coming to Madison Square Garden every September. So we did that for a few years, going out to Brendan Byrne, doing that. There was a period of time in my life, and I've evolved a little bit as a human in my musical days, where I had a very myopic musical genre. Not even, I didn't call it a genre, just bands, right? From Good Homes was part of it, mostly live though, right? I didn't. Yeah, at that point in time, we, you know, I'd love to open up the sky and incorporate there, but it was all around the Grateful Dead and then little, you know, in the periphery, some other classic rock type of stuff. But really, it was from Good Homes and Grateful Dead. Is, and that, it, Sarah is a little bit more diverse. Always, I'm with you, but that's, man. That's why I'm asking, because I didn't know anything but that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really, I think I was really into Bonnie Raitt at that time. I was also into John Prime. Yeah, John I feel like we spent most of our money on Getcha. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't but, even seem like we we're spending a lot of money in the good old days on yeah, concerts. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. What were you doing there? What did you guys do in the city at that time? What was your work and what was your life style? I was a. Uh, I worked. I've always worked in financial services. I worked uh, for Prudential Securities down at the South Street Seaport, 199 Water Street. Every Friday night on the on the uh, top floor of his office building, they would have a free cocktail party for all of the employees. And Andy would invite me and a bunch of his other friends. <laughs> I, I would invite my college friends. It, it was a corporate type of top floor, executive 80s. suites on one side of the building, and then this like big conference area where they would host cocktail party they bring out food every single night this is pre-1987 after 1987 they had this flash crash in the market and uh, people realized that uh, you know they assessed excesses so they 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 went from every night to just friday thursday and friday nights maybe you know so even still i would invite my college friends you know, obviously sarah and her friends we go have drinks and eats and South Street Seaport was a little hotbed of activity on the weekends, like late week, you know, after you know, happy hours and after after work cocktails. So we would be able to look out the window and see if there's a big crowd there or not. Uh, if not, we'd go back to the bar at the uh, the Prudential Securities <laughs> cocktail party and get another round. It's amazing that they went out of the liberties <laughs> we took. No one even cared though. Yeah, it was like the roaring eighties. It's interesting because that's actually so significant. Like that. The Roaring Eighties, right? Yeah. And if you, here we are, whatever the, how many, fifty, a hundred years later, thirty years later, feels that way. If you think about history, just describe that. What was the like late Roaring Eighties into the nineties? What was going on? There was a lot of decadence. That kind yeah. of was where From Good Homes was writing about and writing. I don't know, mm -hmm. in contrast yep. to maybe sometimes. Absolutely, it was um, a lot of excess. Yeah. Um, a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. All sorts. That's it? Yeah, lots of music. That's, that's it. That's all I remember. <laughs> it's the best time we will never remember. But if you think about it historically, that was an amazing time. You, earlier, you spoke of the division of wealth and the right. shrinking of the middle class. So how, from 87-ish, around that time, give a little summary of what America was going through. Well, New York City was in a boon, a financial boon, and like Prudential Beige hosting cocktail parties every night. Donald Trump built Trump Tower in New York City, and you know everything was very glitzy and uh, limos and gold and bronze and marble. I lived in the West Village, and I worked for an interior designer who eventually died of AIDS, but he was the designer to the stars. So he had like a, a list of famous clientele that he would do design work for. And I was just like a little receptionist, you know, ran errands and such. And the um, young man who was like the young designer on the team, there were about 10 of us in the office. And I had this beautiful marble desk that was inlay and just, you know, really 18th century or something crazy like that. 
And I used to order the groceries for the office. We would have clients come in. I would order caviar, vodka, orange juice, champagne. And then on a Friday afternoon, everyone would leave and go to the Hamptons on their helicopters or on the Jitney. And me and this young designer were left there and we would just drink (laughs) screwdrivers and eat caviar. (laughs) Say it sucks to be the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. And then Andy, what were you doing? You're now in finance, right? So you're, there's, there's nothing but promise on the on the horizon of of great success and wealth or what what were your aspirations back then and how would how what was it like to be in new york city working in that time it was exciting you know there was um a lot of money being made you know not a lot of regulations so it was a little bit uh you know like the open frontier you know obviously a lot of things have changed since then yeah, I ended up being fortunate right after Sarah and I got married, being relocated as an expatriate to London, England for two years between 1992 and 1994. Prior to that, there was a lot of travel from New York to London. You know, it was always flying first class, a lot of restaurants, uh, the best restaurants, and it was a lot of fun, you know, just being around it and, uh, there was a lot of camaraderie within that. Uh, there was a, it was a, it was an era of you know work hard and play hard. You know, I had a boss that would take us sometimes down to the South Street Seaport on a Thursday for lunch, and you know we never went back to the office. Um, you know, sometimes he even let me uh, invite my friends, my college buddies. I think that uh, he was probably in his early forties then. We we're in our you know early twenties, and um, I think he was trying to. Uh, you know, maintain this Peter Pan effect or staying young. And you know, he would take me and my buddies out for these nice dinners and uh, on the company. Remember that book, The Bonfire of the Vanities? Yeah. A very wealthy banker who's, you know, driving a sports car with his wife and they get lost in upper, was it the Bronx it or the Bronx. Harlem? Anyway, and they end up getting just, it just was a very, that book typifies that time. Yeah. People were so arrogant and above it all. And, yeah. you know, it really did crash down on everyone. So, yeah. so <laughs> then I guess during that time to, to take after a week of doing all those things and just being in the, in the throes of all that excitement, what was it like then going to a From Good Home show? And what was that music? How do you think that music res- was like responding to those times? For, for me, it always felt like uh, going back home, right? You know, even uh, from the early days, you know, living in New York, you know, it's almost like a, there was that world. And then from good homes, whether I was going in the city or in New Jersey or wherever they were, it always just felt like going back home. Good friends, good music, familiar, confident, comfortable. You know, you can really be yourself. Coming on home. You know, and uh, the band represents that to me to this day. I agree. Well, not so much for going home, but just for like escaping, just going to a place where there's comfort and you feel like it's home. And also, you know, you could get away from whatever your problems were at that time or this time. You know, just listening to music during these challenging times has been so therapeutic for us. For me as well, you know, I've always taken great pride in the band. I think all of us from Sparta take great pride in the band, right? We grew up with these guys. I mean, we, we knew them from the beginning. And, and in that, I always took pride in trying to turn people on to the band. And we did a lot of that in those early days. Hence, you know, my one friend's hiring them for their wedding band, right? And, uh, uh, and that just came from the 1980, late 80s bouncing around New York City and having fun. They, you know, they were on that tour with us going to uh, Hoboken, just missing the band. And, you know, and then they go to the bitter end and, and um, it, they, you know, it's just. In what, San Francisco also, we brought a lot of friends to the Great American Music Hall. And, yeah. Um, what were you guys doing out there when you saw them in California? We, from London, we moved to San Francisco. Again, my job relocated us from London to San Francisco where we lived for eight years. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Um, That's yeah, where our, first, our oldest son was born. Yeah, there, from so. like 94 to 02. You know, that was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it's where I reconnected with Joe Tierney out there because he was living uh, in, in, the, in the South Bay. You know, I had a lot of college friends there. Sarah had some friends there from high school and college. And Beautiful city. I'd always 
wanted to live in San Francisco from early days on of uh, fascination with the Grateful Dead and Kate Ashbury and all that. That was in my mind. Yeah. Uh, so we were able to make that happen. And uh, then shortly after we moved there, From Good Homes is coming out on their tour and they're playing the Great American Music Hall. And we brought a big crowd. It was a lot of fun. We would like start out at our house. We'd have a party, like a little drinks party, and then we'd all pile in a, <laughs> several cabs and head over there. That was a great venue. Yeah. Really cool venue. And like you had mentioned before, Leftover Salmon opened for them and they had a big following at that yeah. time as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was actually working with them at the time. I think I might've been touring around with them at that time. You probably were there. Yeah. So tell me about your family. You have two boys. Yeah. We have two boys, a uh, 20 and 15, 20 year olds, a sophomore at ASU and a 15 year old who's a freshman in high school. And we moved to Arizona be two years this August. Uh, so it's uh, been a, uh, a good overall, I think, good place to live, easy to assimilate to life in Arizona. You know, it's had some trials and tribulations with people getting settled. From Good Homes hasn't come out yet. Where were you from? Where were you living before you moved to Arizona? New Jersey, in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Outside the city. For 14 years. Yeah. So you went, so this was a job opportunity. Did you go enthusiastically or like, ah, this is a good thing. Let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah. Depends, depends who you ask. It was good timing. It was good timing because our oldest just graduated from high school. You know, we were kind of tired of the rat race in New Jersey. You know, embrace a, a, a change. Yeah. And it, it's been good. We've seen a lot of good music since we've been out here, including Railroad Earth. It came to, to Phoenix. But we would love, we've missed seeing From Good Homes last Christmas at Newton Theater. We had seen them the Christmas prior. So that was tough. Last couple. We saw them in 18. And 17. Oh, right. Where did you come back to New Jersey? Oh, you were in New Jersey at the time. Well, we then we were in New Jersey, but one... in 18, we came back. All right. That great American music hall. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The White Eagle or whatever it's called in right. Eagle they, Hall, I think. I remember they White, played White Eagle, I think, White is right. Eagle. Yeah. Scott McGluster was there, wasn't he? Yes. That's right. Scott and Laura. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and, and Rich and Kelly were there, I think, too. I remember they also played uh, Nothing But Flowers, a Talking Heads song. Yes, yeah, was really that's good. right, yeah. which is really great. And it was so fun because this one girl who had left our class in seventh grade, so her last year at our school was my first year, she came and I literally had not seen her in so long and she was in the second row just dancing away, having the time of her life. Yeah. I thought this is just such a great feeling, yeah. like such a special, that was such a great night for yep. me. Well, you'll have to get out for one of these annual reunion shows, or I don't know. Will From Good Homes go on the road? I get it's kind of nice to see Railroad Earth too, right? You can't really complain. Yeah. Did, haven't they done a uh, Red Rocks or a, a, some venue in Colorado recently in the last couple Red of years? Rocks a couple of Not Red Rocks. From Good Homes came back because the Fox Theater or the Boulder Fox Theater, Theater, the Fox that's Theater that's had it. a reunion. I was talking about Railroad Earth played, and at a friend of mine saw them in Red Rocks. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they, they headline Red yeah. Rocks. Yeah. So have you been watching the online uh, stuff at all? No, please share. What about from Good Homes or um, Order? Well, Brady's been, Todd did one um, web, whatever you call it, the Facebook Live. Yeah, no, oh, you know yeah. what? I, I don't have the app, so I couldn't get on the, you, you have to have the app to see Facebook Live, I think, and I, uh, I missed it. Yeah, well, check it out. If, Mother's Day at four o'clock. Mother's Easter. Day, I'm going to be prepared for that. Yeah, okay. But I did like the, um, what, what did we just see at Good Homes to, to uh, Oh, for Bill Withers with Fifty singing, and he has a great voice. His voice is incredible. Yeah. So, have you followed Fitz at all? I don't know Fitz. I know I see Fitz a lot because he lives up here in Vermont. Oh, cool. So he's done his own career as a singer-songwriter. He just did one last night, like he did a the thing. Brady's doing two a week, you know, with his kids' music and stuff. So, which is great. Yeah. And lucky people with little kids that can like. Embrace that. Yeah, I saw him uh, in his uh, rendition of Celebrate on the uh, ukulele. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to see that yet. Was it good? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. So about this kind of uh, pandemic we're going on, how has life changed? What's the situation now in your house? Are your are your boys home? What's Our boys are home. They're uh, online learning. Our son Nolan goes to a private school, so they're very equipped, and it's very regimented, and he's in front of this computer 
every day at eight o'clock to 12, 12.30. And they have class after class, the rotation. And the teachers are saying, you know, tilt your screen so I can see your face, take your hat off, stop chewing gum. All that's happening via Zoom, just like this. Instructional teaching and Socratic questioning and all of that's happening. So he's almost very impressed with how it's just not missed a beat. Sam, on the other hand, goes to ASU and, you know, they were not equipped and it was kind of haphazard and mostly it's just here are your assignments, get it done, look at these videos. If you have any questions, let us know. Yeah, It's really tough, I think, for that age group too, because they're so social. He's 20 years old. He's in a fraternity. He had a spring semester lined up with trips to, to Vegas, you know, spring formals, intramural sports, all that activity. Like like everyone else, it's just stopped on a dime. Well, we felt very lucky that like he wasn't graduating this year. I work from home every day. I um, were you anyway? Is that no, no? Uh, our office is about fifteen minute drives uh, south of of our house in Old Town Scottsdale. Um, so I was laid off like um, the first week, like March twenty third. I was in the rec- recruiting industry. I was <laughs> reinventing myself, yeah. listening to lots of good music, yeah. cooking. It is one of those things you kind of have to take it day day by day. I mean, I'm finding yeah. myself having days like, you know, you, you have to remember, well, this is a pretty big deal. I was going to ask if what your thoughts are about where we're, where it's heading. I mean, it, it'd be speculation, I guess. But what what are your thoughts? I have a thought I'd like to bring up. It's just more of. The silver lining of all of this, finding a new way of life, right? Uh, Zoom, for example, we now have a family Zoom every Sunday at 10 o'clock. You know, Sarah's family's all over the world. She has a brother and his wife in Switzerland, a niece in London, parents in Rhode Island, a sister in Massachusetts, brother in, in California. And we're all getting together. And you should go... You know, we probably would go months and months before we would all talk together as a group. And that's only in person. And now we're able to do it on a weekly basis. You know, so things like that. I've spoken, reconnected with a lot of friends. Memories come up because you have time now, right? And think of that person and reach out, send them a note, send them a little, just thinking of you guys, how you doing? And then that could evolve into a, you know, a Zoom cocktail party, which I've had uh, several of those. <laughs> including this one. <laughs> right. So for me, I've really like, because I, you know, my work was done so quickly. I was really like looking for something. And I found, I've been doing meditation for about five years now, but I found like this guided one with by Deepak Chopra. That's just really, really great about just being in the moment, not worrying too much about, obviously we have to plan ahead right now. We're not making any plans. We, we thought we would be going back East this summer, but with my parents being in their early 80s, it's just too frightening. I don't want to, you know, we would be staying with them. We don't want to take that risk. So until there's a vaccine, I feel like we're going to be pretty careful and just stay home and try to take advantage of the amazing technology that we have, right? And listen to the music while you have all the time. My big challenge is to avoid the COVID-19, right? <laughs> yeah, 19 pounds. It's just because oh. my, uh, yeah, it's going to put freshman 15 to shame. I know. Crazy. Yeah, man. I love to cook. So it's just like, I don't know. It, I work out of home anyway. This is, I have a big attic. That's the footprint of the house. It looks great. nice. It's I love the chimney. So life's not that much different. You know, my daughter's only 10, so I think she's doing okay. And, but um, yeah, we're doing all right. Is she my, doing online learning? They weren't, uh, it wasn't that they weren't good out of the gate. The t- they were very much like, just go home and love each other and take care of each other. And we're like, yeah, we got that. We, we need yeah. a teacher <laughs> online, but, um, Been there, done that. they disappeared for like weeks and it was not cool. So we actually stepped up and we started some two a day zoom calls with a little group of people we got together. So we filled the void. And you know, the thing about the rural places, the school is all about kids eating. So that was their priority. How are we going to get the kids that don't have food because they rely on their lunch? That's right. The teachers, like the superintendent, they stepped in and were that. I'm just assess. I was trying, you know, again, I'm making up why, where were they? And I do believe that was their priority for the first week or two. Mm. Plus kids are so resilient, you know, as long as she's reading and doing, 
even like cooking is good for measuring fractions and yeah you know the kids will be fine they'll probably be stronger than you know any generation up until now so are you any other thoughts we, that you guys had on your mind that you wanted to chat about uh, I'm sure I'm going to think of a thousand things when we hang up, yeah. but just we have the best memories and listening to their music really transports me back to those happy days and just comforting memories and thoughts. Always excited to listen to the band, always excited to hear their new stuff and that um, that they're still growing. They're still so growing. Amazing. They're still creating music. It's not just playing the old music, which I love, but to hear you know how they've evolved and they're, songwriting and music playing has been uh, a real pleasure really and powerful i also you know I, I do follow railroad earth and the subculture around railroad earth and the hobos right it's quite a strong subculture Amazing. you know equates that you know to dad and fish but i love listening and reading about the hobos being turned on to from good homes because they they, they hold todd as he does deserve to be a had a soul of his songwriting and musical ability, but see, you know, to watch that, and I really, again, I get that pride again. Of course it's from good notes. Of course you're going to like this band. <laughs> you tell them everything. Uh, I hear nice. you say it. I, I can't imagine if you be, if you became a Railroad Earth fan and then say, oh, were you aware that there was a whole nother band before that? I, that always kind of amazes me that what it, that must be like to discover that. And the fact that they, I, I think they're better than they ever were before. And they've just grown and branched out so much on their own and then come back together. It makes them even more. And you can tell they're really having fun together. They really, it's like the very early days again, where they just were having so much fun before any record deals or, you know, just kicking it. I, I actually uh, knew they were going to get back together before maybe even they did, or maybe they did in the back of their <laughs> minds. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons I knew that was because I remember when our kids were small and going to see the Brady and the little band that could and hanging out with him after the show, just talking and, you know, uh, said something about uh, the Thumb Good Homes and Todd. So maybe I saw Road Earth or something like that. And uh, yeah, I just saw I just saw Brady's eyes just slide up, touring, you know, getting the band back together. And you could tell he really missed it. Right. And uh, he wasn't just saying it like that, but I could tell in his demeanor and in his eyes. And I was, at that moment, I'm like, these guys you know, have something. They had something they still do. And they're going to get back together. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was like, uh, I mean, it had all that good, the foundation and then all of what they learned individually. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it was funny. I watched Brady. Brady does his solo things for during this t the pandemic. And the way he plays, he's always kind of like looking around like he's imagining a band behind him is the way I see him play. <laughs> and, the, and a crowd in front of him. That's right. That's not that's over two feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Great to see you. Stay stay so healthy. Fun. Well, you've been amazing. Yeah, it's this been really a really nice thing for our early afternoon. It's a privilege to be a part of anything that's from good home. Awesome, man. Best to you and your wife and Elena. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Vic. Take care, bud. Take care, Bye. 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 Yeah.